My guest today is Girish Redikar. Girish is the co-founder of a company called Sprinto. He built Sprinto to help enterprises with their data security, data privacy, and compliance needs. And we go into it in detail during the podcast, but we talk about things like SOC 2 compliance, ISO, GDPR, TCPA, and the list goes on and on. So this is uh, his startup. He's the co-founder, and he's actually a technical co-founder. So you might be wondering, why have I invited a engineer uh, or a technical founder onto the SaaS sales players podcast? Well, there's a couple reasons. Number one, I thought Giddish could give some insight into how enterprises and companies are dealing with data privacy and data security. And I think if you're going to sell in 2022, whether you're selling at a commercial or mid-market level or to the enterprise, more than likely you're going to run into a request for data compliance and data security. So I thought it'd be helpful to pick his brain a little bit on some of the need to knows when it comes to helping your clients around their security protocols. The other reason I wanted to have Gadish on was I felt like it would be valuable to ask him about some best practices for selling to a technical buyer. Many of us uh, out there, and I think for the most part in in this day and age, almost any software is now going to require the buy-in from a technical uh, evaluator or technical champion inside the company. And usually that's someone who's in engineering, DevOps, or IT. And so I thought it'd be interesting to ask Gadish what he sees as some of the habits of the best sellers when it relates to selling to a more technical persona, which can differ a lot from selling to a business uh, or operations persona. So with all of that said, I want to welcome Girish to the SaaS Sales Players Podcast. All right. We are live. Girish, welcome to uh, the, the SaaS Sales Players Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jesse, for having me. And we were talking off air. It's it's mid. It's after midnight your time. You're you're based out of India, uh, so thank you for joining us on a. I guess it's Friday, Saturday, early Saturday morning at this point uh, at the time of recording. Uh, so we we really appreciate that. No problem. Excited to be here. Awesome. So uh, where I usually like to start is tell us a bit about how you got started in, in your technology career. Um, I want to preface to the, the conversation to, to my listeners by saying, you know, Girish is the co-founder uh, and, you know, technical founder of Sprinto. Is it Sprinto or Sprinto HQ? No, it's Sprinto. Sprinto. We have Sprinto.com. Okay. Sprinto.com. Awesome. You guys got the .com. So yeah. one, one of the reasons I was excited to have him on the show today is, well, there's a few different reasons. One, the, the product that Sprinto is working on will help sellers uh, as they have conversations with large enterprises and you know it, it deals with data security and SOC 2 compliance. But the other thing is, I thought he could help us understand as sellers some best practices for engaging and building rapport and presenting to a technical buyer, a technical champion, a technical decision maker. So I want to start with your story, your background, tell us how you got to where you are, but then I want to dive into some of those topics that I think my listeners will really appreciate your perspective on. So with that, um, yeah, tell us how you got started in this this crazy business of tech. <laughs> so I think uh, it was uh, very incidental for me. Um, <clears throat> uh, incidentally, I, I and my uh, co-founder. We, we, we ran another B2B SaaS company before this. And, uh, you know, uh, fun story here. I wasn't always a developer. Both I and my co-founder had to teach ourselves programming, uh, you know, when we did that. Yeah. So uh, we, we sort of, uh, 
learned how to build a product professionally and, and so on and so forth. And uh, among other things, uh, you know, my previous SaaS company was actually a, uh, it was a bootstrapped company. Uh, that oh, wow. among other things meant that, uh, you know, as co-founders had to get our hands dirty with pretty much all aspects of running a SaaS business. So in the beginning, it was, you know, writing code and, uh, you know, building the product. And uh, later it was around marketing and then eventually it was around sales. So so that was my first foray into sales. You know, uh, uh, we, we were just hustling to get our first customers. Um, and, and that's how I got into SaaS sales. Uh, so uh, fast forward to today, that was almost a decade ago. Uh, fast forward today, uh, you, you know, in my second SaaS company, I, uh, I I primarily almost exclusively do sales now. But yeah, I, I did write some code early on, but but this is what I do now. <laughs> so tell, tell us some of the, so what were some of the things in, in your first go around in the SaaS world when, when you did have to pick up the, the sales hat and put that on? What were some of the things that surprised you about the role of selling to, to businesses? Um, I think it was very unnatural to me. Uh, yeah. To put it very simply. Uh, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm happiest when I'm writing code and, uh, you, you know, uh, I'm also naturally an introverted person. So uh, it, it wasn't something that, that came very uh, easily to me. Um, I, I guess uh, the, the most uh, surprising thing to me though was that uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I learned a little bit about myself. Uh, if, if I used to think of this as, uh, 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 as a difficult conversation, but I realized after doing a few of those that, uh, you know, if you actually really just look at it as in, in terms of trying to help uh, a prospect in, into something that they are already going through, uh, it just becomes a lot simpler conversation. Not all of them turn out to be like that, but uh, I got my fair share of such conversations, which helped me increase my confidence in, uh, you know, in doing what I'm doing. So uh, I, I guess uh, it, it became problem solving of a different kind. Uh, as engineers, we are just, uh, you know, we, we tend to be better at troubleshooting and uh, problem solving, but but it, right. this was just a different way of looking at it. And I think once I got that lens on it, it just became a little easier for me. What were some of the things that you guys did, some of the tactics or plays you ran to get those first customers? I know a lot of my listeners out there are working as the first, second, third, or fourth seller in a SaaS startup. And mm -hmm. as you know, having built one before and currently building one now, when you mm -hmm. haven't yet built a big brand and, and maybe you haven't, you know, raised capital and, and they're yeah, especially bootstrapped, it's, mm -hmm. it's really hard to get the attention of a buyer when they have no idea who your company is. What were some of the things that you guys did, uh, you know, both in your current or sorry, both in your former SaaS role and with Sprinto mm -hmm. to get some of that initial traction and get those first handful of customers on the platform? That's a great question. Uh, I think early sales are the hardest. Uh, you know, you yeah. you get these. Uh, you, you're basically a nobody. Uh, they they can't uh, really trust you. You don't have the logos yet. You don't have referenceable customers mm -hmm. yet. Uh, so, so you're you're sort of up against this wall. Um, however. Uh, and you don't have the support structure in general, right? Like you, you don't have any case studies yet, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, right. Uh, what I. Uh, I honestly, uh, you, you know, the, the the only thing that's really worked out for me uh, when I'm doing some of these early sales is uh, is get a little bit more consultative than uh, mm -hmm. than than uh, what may, you, you know what we typically need to be, uh, which means that uh, you sort of go through a phase where uh, you, you're trying to see if oh, you know 
what are the top three problems this person is worried about? And, and hopefully you are, uh, what, what you're selling is, uh, you know, in solution to one of the top three problems. Mm-hmm. And then rather than thinking of your specific solution, uh, you, you know, you, you, you become a little bit more consultative than your solution itself. So you go a little bit over and beyond uh, what, what your software itself might be doing. So I've, I've tried that a few places. Uh, for example, yeah. uh, you know, like my, my current, uh, uh, the, the product that we currently sell, which, which primarily helps uh, salespeople uh, uh, you, you know, uh, it primarily helps companies uh, become security compliant uh, with these things like SOC 2 and ISO and, and GDPR and HIPAA and et cetera. And uh, what that in typically means is that uh, the, the, the person on the other side is, is struggling to uh, go through a security due diligence. Now, now uh, mm-hmm. these compliances are a part of that thing. Uh, there, there is a lot more that gets involved. Uh, you know, there are security questionnaires. There is there is a bunch of other stuff, et cetera. And it, it helps right. to sort of understand the overall picture and help them out a little bit on the other aspects, which are not strictly part of your product. And, and that sort of helps you get some confidence. Uh, and it's it's pure hustle, right, at the beginning. So, so that's fine. Yeah, uh, it doesn't have to scale uh, and it's okay. Did, did you guys rely pr- predominantly on emails or phone calls uh, to, to, to get, you know, meetings that would ultimately lead to those first customers or w- did they come from your network? What were some of the uh, sources for the, the, you know, the actual contacts that you made to, to get those first customers on board? All of the above. It, it, yeah. was, uh, <laughs> it, it was a blur, uh, honestly. Uh, you, you know, like, like we tried a million things. Some of them uh, came through and, and, and that, that's basically how we got through them. Yeah. And so uh, and a lot of these questions for me are coming from a place I, I spent some time as the first sales hire at a, at a technology or a SaaS, I should say technology SaaS company. Um, mm-hmm. It was a SaaS platform, but the product was incredibly technical. My, my buyers were DevOps and CTOs were sort of the mm-hmm. final decision makers. And I always share, you know, I like to share some of the ways that we got initial traction. I mean, first, the founders had a pretty good network. Both of the founders at this company happened to be part of uh, what they call in Silicon Valley, the PayPal mafia. So mm-hmm. that's, I think if you're in the first 50 hires at PayPal, you're part of the PayPal mafia. So I was fortunate there because the two co-founders were both PayPal mafia. And so they had a very massive network of CTOs that, you know, lived all across the world. And, you know, we had customers in Australia and, and, you know, they had connections in Europe and in India and all over the place, Asia. And so I would tap those you know, contacts and connections first. One of the most creative things that we did in that role though, was we created a dedicated Slack channel and it was free. You could come in. And if, if anyone had a question about the specific technology that we were built on top of, so we were a SaaS that was built on top of uh, Kafka. And you're probably familiar with like the data streaming Mm -hmm. language Kafka. And Mm -hmm there was all these people out there that had all these questions about how to build on Kafka. And so we opened up a free Slack community. People started coming in and and as the sales rep, it was really, it was fun because I was in the Slack all day. I'd see people ask questions and then we'd confirm where they worked. And it was like, Oh, I work for, you know, some big hotel or I work for a big bank or financial institution, or I work for this big tech company. And so I would then, you know, sort of nurture those conversations and say, Hey, our team was, you know, here to help, but We'd love to show you the SaaS that we've built that's going to help you manage these these Kafka resources. So anyway, that was one of the fun ways that yeah, that that's we a great idea. Yeah. Slack channel. Thanks for sharing that. I'm also a big advocate of podcasting. I think if you can get an interesting podcast out there, the mm-hmm. amount of people you can reach through this medium is is incredibly huge. And at that startup, we did do a podcast. It was very niche because there was very few people that you know necessarily tuned in 
week over week for the new episodes, but it still did, you know, deliver a nice reach. And we had some inbound leads come from that. Um, but I always love hearing stories about getting something off the ground because I, I definitely realize how difficult it is when you're trying to negotiate that first customer contract. Uh, and you know, your product is not to the finished state or, or in even really in a complete state at any point, you know, at, at that point. And so it's, uh, it's always great to hear those stories. Yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, you know, th those, those customers are the hardest. Uh, there, there have been so many times where we've been asked for references and, and honestly, we didn't have too many and, and you know, those, those people are busy themselves. So I wasn't sure. Uh, it's not like they would want, they wouldn't want to give us references. They just didn't have the time. So yeah, <laughs> those are tough battles to fight. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Sprinto. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that it's, it assists, you know, companies and, and, and essentially reps also reps like myself who often come up against the objection of, Hey, are you guys SOC 2 compliant GDPR? Um, I'm trying to think of what some of the other security credentials are that, that one can earn. I mean, there's, uh, I know SOC 2 is a, is a big one, especially for SaaS because it protects, uh, you know, the, the data security of the end client. Tell us what you guys are doing different. Uh, I, I'm sure there's several companies out there that do SOC 2 compliance and, and, you know, give us a, a, an overview of how you guys are, are different and what we should be thinking about as sellers as we encounter these conversations around security. Absolutely. So like you said, right, uh, Sprinto just helps other SaaS companies uh, obtain security and privacy compliances at one-tenth the effort. Uh, you know, uh, what that really means is that uh, in turn, our customers are able to accelerate their revenue, close high-ticket deals, and pass vendor security assessments with these. Now, the trouble with these things is that uh, obtaining these compliances conventionally took months of CTO or CISO time. Uh, so, so if you're a smaller company, it's typically the CTO. And usually that person is probably the, one of the most slammed persons inside of the company. Like they really mm -hmm. don't have time to take on more. They, they rather build product and, uh, and have very little time. So what we do is we automate a bunch of busy work that happens around these compliances and, and consequently are able to get you there a lot faster. Um, these compliances sound like a gobbledygook of, uh, you know, acronyms, but uh, like yeah. you said, sure, salespeople have heard of these and, you know, mm -hmm. they even dread these if you don't already have them, because it usually means that the deal is going to take a long while to close. Uh, so so uh, our simple value prop is that uh, we help you uh, get there a lot faster with a lot less effort without you having to, uh, you know, sort of derail anything that you've planned. Uh, which which means that uh, you know your your engineering team is more likely to pick this up than say that hey you know unless you're really selling this very high ticket deal uh, don't bother me about it so so right. that's that's roughly what Sprinter does um, I think the the primary way uh, we are different than a bunch of other tools that exist out there is uh, simply the amount of automation that is brought into the entire picture and consequently the reduction in effort that happens. So Sprinto is an end-to-end -end software. We, we, we sort of not only automate how you implement these programs, how you operate this program, but we have gone as far as actually automating the audit that's involved in running these programs. So that's the part that everybody hates. Uh, this mm -hmm. is soft to audit. Right, uh, right. And we, we have gone to a point where, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 we sort of work very closely with auditors and, and sort of, encoded whatever they seek in an audit into our software, which makes the audits completely seamless as well. So, so this, uh, you, you know, basically means that uh, uh, compliances such as SOC2, which was only something that uh, uh, was something that a resource crunch company wouldn't ever dare pick up, uh, just becomes a lot more accessible.
Um, and that, that's the way we look at this. You know, our job is to make these compliances a lot more accessible to companies across uh, various uh, you know, sizes. And, and mm-hmm. even if you really don't have resources to throw at that problem yet, you can, you can still get it done. So it's automation. Is it is it built in the form of a SaaS model where it's a subscription base and and you you know you pay for this service year over year? Walk us through sort of the the commercials or kind of the uh, the structure of of the deals. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We are SaaS for SaaS, so we are ourselves a SaaS tool. Uh, you know, it's annual subscription based product, and the, yeah, the the subscription price depends roughly on the size and complexity of your com- compliance program. So so that's that's roughly it. Yeah. And maybe for some, because a lot of my listeners are, are relatively new to tech sales or SaaS sales. Um, mm-hmm. Why why is something like SOC 2 important for a large company or even a small company? What, uh, you know, what kind of things does that guarantee or, uh, you know, what, what kind of assurances does that give a, a big company or a small company? That's a great question. So, uh, you know, let's, uh, for the sake of it, imagine uh, you're a SaaS vendor and, and I'm a SaaS buyer, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I'm purchasing SaaS for my company and uh, SaaS fundamentally means that my data is on your servers. Uh, and I need eventually some assurance that you're going to keep this data safe and secure. Or, or I, it's natural for me to have questions around that. Now, what used to happen about a decade ago is uh, these were concerns that were primarily, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, uh, it's the fortune thousands who, who would care about mm-hmm. this a lot more as compared to right. the others. And, uh, you know, like if, if you're selling to a fortune thousand company, then you would get asked for uh, like these compliances or, or some sort of a security questionnaire or, or, you know, like audits, et cetera. But what's really happened over the subsequent decade is that these, uh, uh, th- these demands have percolated downstream. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, you know, today, if you're doing five-figure SaaS deals uh, anywhere, you're more likely to get asked for these things. And and, uh, uh, and I think the, the ceiling is always coming down over time. So yeah. you give it a few more yeah. years and, and you're likely to get asked for these things as stable stakes anywhere. So uh, th- that's the that's the germination of the problem that, uh, you know, uh, fundamentally you are handling data on my behalf and I need some assurance that you're keeping that safe and secure. Mm-hmm. Now, what used to happen in the past also is that each company would, actually conduct audits with each of their vendors. And, and it's easy to see why that's uh, that's unscalable because right, you know, I as right. a vendor means I need to go through an audit with each customer. And, and that, that just doesn't make sense. That's just, uh, just a waste because I'm exactly doing the same thing or at least there's a huge overlap between things that I do with each of my customers. So, uh, uh, I mean, the simplest way to uh, think about uh, SOC 2 is kind of like what SAT is too, right? Like instead of <laughs> you taking like a, a like a like an examination with every school that you want to work with or every, every right. college, you you basically do that once, and, and that can be used across places. So so that's fundamentally what SOC 2 allows you to do. Like it's it's a single audit with a independent trusted third party, mm-hmm. which is AICPA, a body called AICP, and then they help you uh, sort of, they're the ones who can uh, certify you that you are actually meeting the standards uh, of security. And, and then you can use that across your customer. So, so that's quite simply the way that works. Uh, that is a really great analogy, the SAT analogy. That's that's perfect, which, yeah, you're, you're not going to go around every school and take an individual test. It's better to just have one universal certification. So right. oh, I love that. Okay. If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, 
which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSurf5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSurf5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. What would you tell someone out there who's listening, who's maybe working at a SaaS startup that's not SOC 2 compliant? Maybe they don't have uh, you know, a GDPR uh, mm-hmm. you know, compliance in place or uh, what's the one? There's one in California. I think it's CCPA. CCPA. Yeah. CCPA. You know, what, what would you tell someone who's in that situation right now? Maybe they're trying to sell deals to other uh, tech companies or even you know, non-tech companies. What kind of things should they be thinking about as they proceed in conversation with their buyers? Um, so it, it's good to get an early signal if this is going to be a, a you know like a uh, like a bottleneck later on because that way you're at least buying yourself some time. Um, and I, I think uh, so. I've been in that position exactly. Like in my previous company, we didn't have SOC two for a while, and, and then we mm-hmm. well, you know we, we st- had to find a way to sort of circumnavigate the whole thing, and uh, uh, including things like hey, we are on AWS, and AWS is SOC two, and and uh, you know that that cut it for a while, but then it didn't. Uh, so yeah. so uh, uh, so so the the honest answer is uh, beyond a point. It's going to be really hard uh, to sort of uh, navigate around that. Uh, so, so the, the thing that I would recommend there is that you need to have a plan in place to eventually get there. And, and then you could do some few tactics on, on a, on a short-term basis. You, you could be a little bit more forthright about the security practices you run mm-hmm. while giving them, uh, which could give them, you know, uh, enough confidence without you having like a third-party certification like SOC2. Uh, that's right. a good thing to do, uh, you know, and you could, uh, use some other tactics of that sort. But I, I think the, the simple answer that is that uh, depending on the geography, the industry, or the you know the kind of customer that you work with. If you're an enterprise first SaaS company, I, I'd yeah. say that, hey, get that done. I mean, that, that's I like agree. table stakes. So yeah, and I, I mentioned that I was, I was the first sales hire at a startup. I've, I've done that a few times in my career. I've come in very early to a startup. And that is a huge challenge early on if you don't have that SOC 2 uh, or some of the other ones, GDPR, CCPA, whatever it is, whatever the compliance yeah. is, it, it can kill your deals. So if anyone out there listening is in that position, you know, point their technical leadership towards uh, Girish and his team and uh, go check out Sprinto. So I, I want to shift gears a little bit because, and we talked about this a little bit before we came online. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that I've encountered in my career of selling, and I know my, my peers struggle with this, and I'm, I'm absolutely sure that my listeners struggle with this as well, is sort of the, the universal clash between engineers, developers, technical buyers, and you know your, your sales persona, which us sellers tend to be extroverts, tend to be, not always. There's a lot more introverts in the business now, and I, I like to see more well-rounded uh, personalities in the field, but historically it's always been, you know, Hey, there's this, this sales rep that wants to sell me this technology solution. I know how to code. I know all of the, you know, backend systems I've invested tons of time in understanding the technology. And now this, you know, this guy or gal out there is going to come try to tell me what I, what I should learn and, and what I need to know. And they're going to try to, you know, take my money over something. So 
I'll, I'll take a step back here and say, I, I would love to, to hear your thoughts and, and ideas for anyone out there listening who is selling to DevOps or CTOs or IT buyers or you know anyone who's more technical in nature. And I think at this point, I have a theory that in most enterprise deals in this day, in 2022, most enterprise deals, someone technical is going to be involved, especially if it's, you know, back to your earlier point, if it's a six figure plus deal, uh, there's no way a company is going to write a six figure check or sign an order form for six figures at this point, unless either a developer, uh, you know, an IT systems, uh, you know, professional, or even in some cases, the product or CTO leadership, uh, technical leadership. So what are some ways that sellers can, you know, get a little empathy for the technical buyer, communicate better, uh, you know, sort of check their biases and some of those things. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas around how sales can interact more uh, efficiently with, with IT and, and tech. Oh, that's, that, that's yeah, a, a big great question. question. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure I, I, I know, uh, I have a good answer to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I have uh, been a part of a few uh sales conversations on the receiving end where, where I was really impressed by the salesperson. So, so maybe I'll, I'll share a couple yeah. of uh, tidbits on that, uh, you Perfect. Know, like the things that went well. Uh, so uh, I, I think the, the, the couple of ones that stand out to me is uh, the salesperson admits uh, or, or is at least not trying to tell me, uh, you know, uh, about the technical aspects of what I'm doing, but, but it was, it, it started a little bit more, uh, uh, I would say from first principles about what exactly am I trying to solve here, and uh, just for context, I, I think the conversation is very different when when a technical person is a decision maker versus when mm -hmm. they are actually uh, you know just ensuring uh, you know compatibility and fit. In which case, you you typically have like a solutions engineering team or something of that sort internally, and that's just about making sure that you know th those are much simpler conversations, and you can just make sure that you are checking boxes and just giving them enough confidence that's why uh, i'm guessing it, it becomes a little bit more pertinent when the decision maker itself is a technical person you're selling to a ct or a devops person and, and you know they are, they are the ones who are actually going to make a decision and uh i, I think uh, you know it, it's it's known on both sides that hey uh, you don't understand tech to the extent that i do in and mm -hmm. in and i don't understand uh, you know the product that 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 you're trying to show me so, so you know it, it helps to uh, be cognizant of that and just get into the fact that uh, you know this is what the product is really going to solve for you and uh, I, I i honestly that the two conversations that come to my mind which were where i was really impressed with the salesperson is that the person spent a lot of time just understanding uh, the ground realities of the problem that I was trying to solve. And that, that was like an extremely, I would say it doesn't matter that I was a technical person that these were just extremely, really well done discovery calls. Uh, and and yeah. that to me is like the, the, the large part uh, or the lion's share of what really does this better. And, yeah. and the person was actually ready in the next call. Uh, for uh, you know the specific things that they learned from me in the discovery call, so so that to me was like a great way. It, it felt like they were actually listening. Uh, they went back. They actually got answers to some of the technical questions I had, and they, they just made sure that the first call is just for them to understand. So, so it was a great experience for me. So I, I actually felt like uh, you know they were listening. Uh, they were candid about the parts that they didn't know, and and they actually came back and gave me all the information that I actually needed to make a decision. So uh, I, I'm not sure this this applies uh, 
specifically to developers, but th this could be true for any sort of yeah. a technical role where where I as a person we just may not know what you uh, you know the specifics of your job. Uh, I think the the if I have to put out one single way of doing it is like you, you do a really good discovery call, uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, and you sort of make sure that you have enough ammunition uh, uh, so that you can go back and, and answer all the questions that, that that the prospect might have when you do this. So, so that's one of the tricks of the trade that I, I think uh, uh, went well when I was at the receiving end of sales, such sales calls. No, so a lot of stuff to dig in there. And I, I certainly appreciate the, the specific story here. And something that I'll call out is, is this, this discovery. You mentioned the importance of doing a good discovery session or one or two or three discovery sessions, even if it's warranted. And yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. And in, in my experience working with technical buyers, the, the best thing you can do is not to try to out, you know, outsmart or get overeducated and try to tell them what they should know or what they should be thinking about it. I don't know that the whole challenger sales model works as well with technical buyers. What I do think works well, like, like you said, is listening, doing discovery, not being assumptive, coming in and saying, I'm not going to assume anything about your business or your tech stack, but I want to understand, you know, what, what your challenges are. And then I want to take that, you know, internalize it a little bit but I'm going to then come back on our next call and we're going to recap that in a way that shows that I'm listening and actually understanding and really trying to be helpful here versus just going through the sales motions and saying, all right, when do we get the contract signed or how quickly can you get this done? So I think that's a very important point, discovery. Um, one of the other things that I've always tried to avoid when I work with technical buyers is you never want to call someone's baby ugly, uh, which is, you know, a lot of times, especially in a, in a fast growing company or, or a tech company, you know, the, the technical resources of the developers or engineers have had to build something on their own and it's solved a big problem for the business in that moment. But maybe you work for a SaaS platform that's shiny and new and it's, you know, more cost effective to come in and actually replace the homegrown system with the new SaaS system. If you're a rep at one of those companies, it's really easy to come in and say, oh, your homegrown system looks like garbage. Uh, you should be on XYZ tool. And you're discounting and just completely disregarding the possibly years, months or years worth of work that might've gone into coding a homegrown system. So I'm always very cognizant of that when I have those conversations. I never want to um, you know, disregard or insult a homegrown system or call it ugly in any way. Cause I know that there's real work that went into that. And that might've been sleepless nights for an engineer that might've been months worth of their, uh, you know, work and research and headaches and sprint meetings and all that stuff. So I always try to, you know, take that into consideration. I think it's very common to have a SAS rep come in and say, Oh, that looks like crap. Uh, you should be using our SAS. And I think it's very important to stay away from, from that tendency and just be, be mindful and aware and, and have that awareness that, you know, there's a lot that goes into those things. Sometimes blood, sweat, and tears go into these kind of things. And so you want to have that situational awareness. And I think just empathy, realizing that, and then acknowledgement as well, that, you, you know, you, you likely aren't ever going to know more than this engineer about their tech stack about computer science, about cloud computing, whatever it is. So if you can acknowledge that and come into the conversation saying, I'm also a student here, you know, we're both learning from each other. Like you said, you know, you know, more, the, the rep knows more about the product that they're promoting and the value 
the, the engineer knows more about their systems and their current stack. So how can we, you know, collaborate here in a, an environment of learning and not one of assumptions, not one of aggression where, you know, one person's trying to strong arm the other one into a deal. So very great points. And I, I certainly appreciate the, the specific insights there. Anything else? I, I, mean, I, yeah, I, I especially love your point about, uh, you know, not, not calling the baby ugly. Uh, I, I've, I've been there, uh, you know, uh, yeah. There's a lot of context behind uh, why systems get built the way they do, uh, especially internal systems in in young, fast-growing SaaS companies. Um, I really love it. Uh, you know, I'm glad you said that out. Uh, I'm going to steal it. I'll just put it there. <laughs> yeah, that was one. So I was at a, a startup after the one I already talked about today that we were very careful because uh, our SaaS was kind of a new concept. It was a it was a new category. And it, you know, it, it sort of disrupted a, what was a status quo in the engineering world. And our marketing team and our, our tech leadership team, as well as our sales team was very cognizant of not going in and, and insulting the existing way of doing things, because in a lot of cases, it was work that people had put in. So that's where I picked that up from. But uh, yeah, what, what else? I mean, have you, any other stories you care to share about maybe, uh, you know, interactions you've had good or bad with purchasing technology? Um, no, I, I, I guess, uh, I, I guess I haven't had any bad experiences. I have a lot of meh experiences, but you know, <laughs> you know the, the couple of uh, good ones, I, uh, I remember the ones we, uh, you know, talked about uh, and, and, you yeah. know, uh, they, they were, uh, really well done. I, I think, uh, the, 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 just the, the simple fact of breaking calls into two parts, the discovery and the main demo really allows salespeople. To, uh, the, so in one of those instances, the, the, the salesperson actually got a technical person on the second call. So, so that again shows, uh, you know, that they are, uh, they're listening and they want to make sure that I get all my answers and, and they're prepared, uh, which kind of indicates that hey, they're serious about this. Uh, so, so I, I think, uh, that, to me is uh, like an overall uh, uh, important way of dealing with any situation where you don't know, uh, you know, what's really going on on the other side. So, so you do like an information gathering in one part and, and then you sort of, uh, you know, you're prepared better on the second part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that apart, I, I actually don't remember any other anecdotes right now. Yeah, that's all right. Um, oh, I had a question. I think it, it went away. Um, what, uh, yeah, I mean, what uh, what's your take on, and this is something else I've observed when I've worked with more technical buyers, especially mm-hmm. in SaaS, a lot of you know technical buyers want to actually put their hands on the product before they say yes or no and agree to signing a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys do that at Sprinto? And are you a pretty big advocate of a try before you buy, doing a trial or a pilot program or something where you know technical reps can get in and, and, and test something before they buy it? Um, so I think, uh, I don't know if there's a blanket answer to that, but yes, there are, uh, you know, specific scenarios where, uh, you know, it becomes a lot more important, uh, for me able, for me to be able to try something out, um, and, and, and do it. Uh, but, but, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a nuance there. Uh, there are many classes of products where there is a little bit of an implementation phase before the product starts becoming useful in any way. So you have to be careful there uh, about just giving out the product because, uh, the person is going to come in, they don't really have as much time, uh, or, you know, cognitive bandwidth right now to, to try and figure out your product. So they're going to, click around, browse around a bit, get frustrated and then just, uh, you know, leave on. Uh, so, so that's not what you want. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think, uh, you know, pilots are 
relatively different, uh, you know, uh, especially you can do that in a paid pilot manner, then what, what that ensures is there's seriousness on both sides. So you are, uh, you know, sort of trying to get them, uh, converted eventually which means if it requires an implementation you are going to be putting that effort getting them to a point where uh, uh you know the, the product is actually useful and, and they can actually use it in a manner that that would be representative of the day-to-day -day use there on so i think uh with with that specific nuance uh, i'm always uh, you know prefer uh, getting your users, uh, eventual end user to try out the product. Uh, it may not always be possible, especially when long implementation cycles are involved or, or the product is naturally complex, but where yeah. possible, you should absolutely do that. Yeah. Awesome. So where, where, uh, where are things headed for Sprinto from here? Um, I, I imagine you're growing. Uh, are you guys, are you guys hiring sales? I mean, tell, tell us a little bit about what the, the next 12 to 18 months look like for the company. That's uh yeah. I mean, we are hiring. Uh, I and my co-founders most of our time goes in hiring. So you know, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, 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 so that's probably the the highest order priority inside of the company. Uh, right. Please visit our website, uh, sprint.com careers. Uh, you know, we're hiring across the board: sales, marketing, engineering, uh, product and design, and then so and so forth. So we are hiring across the board. Um, the next. 12 months seems like a long time away, honestly. Uh, so, so my, uh, yeah. so, so my, my, my immediate goal, uh, in the company is to, you know, sort of have the team together, um, on, on all the major things that we're doing. We're currently in a state where we feel that we are constrained by our, uh, internal capacity more than anything else, uh, which is one of the so-called good problems to have, uh, yeah. Yeah, problems yeah. nonetheless that need solving. So, so that's where we are at, uh, we're growing very rapidly, uh, and, uh, that means that uh, you know a bunch of things inside of the company are bursting at the seams, uh, and, and you sort of uh, you know trying to make sure that we do better than put duct tape there. So so yeah. that's roughly the state <laughs> here, as is it with most fast-growing startups. And are you? Uh, I should have probably done my homework on this before the the session today. But are, are you guys bootstrapped for this business, or have you raised money? Now we are venture funded uh, from venture the get-go. We actually recently yeah. uh, announced our Series A from uh, from Axel and Elevation Partners. So, so very cool. Yeah. Congrats on that. That's awesome. Um, just kind of in, in closing here, any any final thoughts for the the sellers out there who are encountering you know objections around SOC two, who want to be better at selling to technical buyers? Uh, would love any any you know closing thoughts. Um, I would say uh, you know. Uh, not worry too much about it. Uh, so the, so the, the, the final tactic when none of this works, uh, you, you know, like you're not actually able to circumnavigate it, then, then the final tactic that I would say you should try and do is get it into a contractual agreement and buy yourself some time that, you know, by the time this contract is for renewal or within six months of assigning this, we are going to get there. And then if you use a tool like Sprinto, you can actually still get there you know, within the time that you do. So don't uh, try and make it a non-blocker. If it is already there, just, just get it added to the contract in some way. So that gives, you know, your customers yeah. some confidence that, Hey, you're still serious about this. You're going to get it done. Uh, but there are like a few tactics like that, that you could use to get this done. Awesome. Love that. Um, Girish, how can my listeners get in touch with you directly? If they, they want to get in touch, uh, where can they, you know, learn more about Sprinto's products? Yeah, et cetera. So at Sprinter, we are just at sprinter.com. Uh, just give it a pay as a visit. I am at girish at sprinter.com. Uh, feel free to drop me a line. Happy to talk to you about anything about SaaS sales. Uh, I happen to be doing that or about SOC 2 or ISO or GDPR or HIPAA or CCP or whatever it is that's uh, troubling you in your sales cycle. Mm -hmm. Happy to chat about that. Feel free to drop me a line. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on today. Appreciate your thoughts and uh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Jesse.